Thanks, Rachel. Um, I want to give you add my welcome uh, to Lachlan's. It's great to see you here as we keep going through this journey in the book of Luke, seeing what this doctor has to say to us about this man called Jesus. Um, it's an exciting time. This week, the passage that we just heard has been so familiar for so many of us. I think we, we, we've heard it before often, if you've been around Christian circles. Uh, if you've been around church, I think we preached on this passage a year ago. So there might be things that are kind of familiar there for us. But what I want us to do today is to slow down and to see in this prayer something that really changes the way we see the world from God's view. So why don't we pray that God would help us to do that now. Let's pray. Father, tonight... We've been reminded in many ways that you are so different from us. You are holy, perfect, and we're not. But that helps us, Lord, to recognize how great it is that we might have your word, that we might hear you. And so tonight, as we have heard your word read, as we have heard what your son has said, we ask that you would shape us to see the world through your eyes. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. There are some moments in life, kind of events and situations that are once in a lifetime type events or moments. You know those times when you actually flip the bottle enough times that it lands on top of the other one perfectly? Like as if that's going to happen again. That's why you've got to have a GoPro so you can catch them and show the world around you that you can do this. I can flip a bottle really well. Uh, Or bigger moments than those. Imagine being there the moment Neil Armstrong said those words, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Firstly, you would have had to have a space suit on, but it would have been great, right? To have been there or to have kind of heard those words for the first time as they were beamed across the globe, man on the moon. It's a moment you don't want to miss. Would have been there that moment that Martin Luther King stood up and said, I have a dream. And to have heard that dream and been amongst the people that started a revolution, a change of the way that people thought about people. There are moments in history that you're like, man, what I would not give to have been there, to have seen that. Well, the moment we have in front of us today, I want to put to you is an even greater moment than those last three combined. It's a moment that we get to see into the God who made the universe. We get to hear what the most influential man in human history, Jesus of Nazareth, has to say about speaking to the God who made all things, who controls all things. We get to see as a fly on the wall how we should approach God and what His heart is about. Have a look with me as one of Jesus' disciples asks this question. Luke Chapter 11, verse 1. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. John the Baptist had followers, and his followers kind of went around and they had a prayer that they said. It was kind of their thing, the way that they would pray, and it defined them and what they were like. And these followers of Jesus, they're like, we want to know what defines us. What are we about? And so we get access right now to a great teaching moment for Jesus. If you could sum up everything we should ask God for, if you could gather together God's plans and purposes so we might know what we should ask of the God who is in control of all things, what would you say? Well, Jesus tells us what we should say. Verse 2, chapter 11. He said to them, Whenever you pray, 
say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. Five things. They sound pretty familiar to most of us who've been around Christian circles. Maybe even if you haven't, they still sound pretty common. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's what people say. And sometimes they kind of feel like a mixture of different ideas pulled together. What's the theme? What's the thread? What I want to show you tonight is I think that this prayer has one thread that runs the whole way through it. Have you ever played that game? I think I've, I've used this illustration before. But have you ever played that game called Barrel of Monkeys? Is that, go ahead, show of hands if anyone knows what I'm talking about. Awesome. Right, so you get the barrel and there's a whole heap of monkeys in it and the aim of the game is to pick up the right, you put them all on the floor or whatever table you've got, to pick up the one monkey that's kind of connected to as many other monkeys as possible and you, you pull the right monkey and all the rest kind of hang off. Well, what I want to show you tonight is a thread in this passage that if you pull the right thread, you suddenly start to see that all of this prayer hangs off like a barrel of monkeys. The whole thing is sitting there and you start to see what is at the heart of our God and I think the heart of human history. And I think that thread is the end of verse 2 and it's only three words. To understand these three words helps us to understand how we should come to this God. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. In one way, it seems like an idea that doesn't make much sense. Your kingdom come. What is he talking about? It's something in the future. He's saying that we should pray for God's kingdom to come. But all through the Old Testament, God had said that his kingdom was here and now. If you look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, it says this, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. God is God over all. He is the king. He is in control of all. He made everything. His kingdom is here. Or Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all His words and gracious in all His actions. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. God is King. No matter what you think, no matter where you come from, no matter whether you think there's a God or not, the Bible is saying that God is real and true. He is the King over all. He made you. And He is there, no matter what we think of Him. The problem of this prayer then comes in this next section. Do you see the problem of the prayer? In what sense does Jesus pray your kingdom come? If God is king, if he's the one who made me, if he's in control of all things, why does he tell people in this teaching moment to pray your kingdom come? What is it about this kingdom that he can say that there's still more coming? Well, let me show you some threads of the Bible and how they kind of fit together here. The story of the Bible kind of is really the story of God's contested rule to his uncontested rule forever. His contested rule to his uncontested rule. 
See, from the very beginning of the biblical story, God creates Adam and Eve. And He makes them in His image and He makes them to rule like under kings over all His creation with Him as the true and living God, as their king. But from day one, we see that that rule of God as the true and living God and king over all, we see it's contested. Satan is there in the form of a serpent, going around placing the seed of doubt. Did God really say that you would not die? What's happening? God's rule is being contested. And we see that from that moment on, we're on a journey throughout the Bible from God's contested rule to the moment when His rule is uncontested. When He is set in place as King over all and all people will recognize that. Romans 14.11 gives us a glimpse of that view. Paul says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. There is God's uncontested rule. That day when every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God. That's the future of humanity. All people treating God as God. Everyone won't be in the same position. Some will be under His judgment, recognizing that He is the King and they want to get out of His judgment, but it's too late. Others will have accepted only through God's work what He's done in the person of Jesus and recognize that He is King and have trusted in Him. But that movement from God's contested rule to His uncontested rule is the kind of theme of the Scriptures that weaves its way through. When will God come and be King over all and bring things in as He should? The problem with us is, we're so focused on the things around us that we kind of get bamboozled. We look at life and, and the things that we enjoy and we focus on everything that's just in front of us, in front of our faces. And we miss that there is a, a trajectory happening. That God is coming as King over all, as He truly is, but in an uncontested way. And so as Christians, we get sidetracked with that here and now. Even Christians kind of go, look, we want to be doing good to all. We want to be relieving poverty. We want to be finding comfort and healing and relief in life and getting awesome jobs and just living it up because that's what I am. I'm, I'm a person who gets to live in God's world in a great way. And we forget that there's something bigger going on. It's about God and His glory. That the world might see that He is King and none other. And that day will come. That day will come. So Jesus says, pray for that day to come. Pray for it. We are to pray, your kingdom come. And when you see the significance of that thread, then suddenly the whole prayer and the whole Bible starts to hang together perfectly like a barrel of monkeys. You see the heart and the purpose of God. What is it? It's all about His kingdom. It's all about things being in right relationship with Him. The world at peace is that the world, not just at peace with one another, but at peace with God. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Your kingdom come. I want you to imagine for a second a world with no more pain. None at all. No need for Nurofen, Panadol, none of that. There's, there's, there's no need for hospitals, for doctors. Sorry for your doctor. We love you now. It's just going to be temporary though. Uh, just a world where things are right. Where relationships don't just fall apart and cause us great grief. 
where we don't go to sleep at night worrying about someone breaking into our houses or, or coming and hurting us or breaking into someone else's house. Imagine a world that is just peaceful, where we know the God who made us. We get to walk with Him. Death is not a thing for us. It's not a thing anymore. It's, it's, it's finished. And we get to know God in the flesh, to walk with Him, to speak with Him. And you know what? We're around all these other people. Now, some of you, the introverts in the room, you're going to be like, that's bad. It's not a picture of the future. I don't want to be around people. But here's, here's the thing. They're perfect people. They're not annoying. They don't talk too much. They're people that love you just because of you and not because of anything. This is a picture of the world as it should be. Perfect justice, perfect relationships, in relationship with this perfect God. And there's so much bigger and grander vision of this world and what we live for than my bank balance or my comfort or my security, isn't it? How I settle for second best so often. Your kingdom come, says Jesus. Don't you long for that day? Do you pray for that day? Well, there's one other complication with the idea of kingdom that we've got to try and understand. Uh, the first one was going, well, isn't God already king? Well, we're seeing in some sense right now, no, this, His reign is still contested, but yes, He is king overall. And we're waiting for the day that He's fully seen as king. But the complication with the kingdom is there's this other thing that happens. See, throughout all the Old Testament, there was this expectation that when God's kingdom came, that would be it. It's kind of like a train. Right, If you're standing on a crossing and you kind of hear the rumbling of the train called kingdom kind of come towards you, you're like, here it comes, the kingdom's coming. And you expect the moment that the kingdom comes, is like, great, the king's here, he gets off the train at the platform and everything's sorted. But what we see is that that isn't the case. Um, let me show you, firstly, that that was the expectation. Zechariah 14. A day of the Lord is coming, and on that day... Yahweh will become king over all the earth. Yahweh alone and His name alone. Right? This picture of the day of the Lord is the day of the train, the day of the, the kingdom coming. And you expect that when the train gets here, it's going to be here. But at the arrival of the train called God's promised king, the Messiah, God does something that's, I think, astonishingly rich. He splits the day of the Lord in two. He extends it. It's kind of like the front of the train is here, but we live in a point where the train's still going past. The end of the train hasn't come. So the kingdom hasn't come in its fullness. You see this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus keeps saying that the kingdom of God is near. Uh, look at uh, Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. At the end of Matthew 28, after his death and resurrection, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The king has come. Jesus is the king and he is this promised Messiah. The cross and the resurrection show that Jesus reigns. Death no longer has any rule over him. And in one sense, Jesus' reign is uncontested. Death is defeated. Satan has been put away with and yet... He's still lurking around, able to do things for a while. He has not been finally disposed of. Uh, Romans 16 verse 20 helps us to understand that. It says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. See, this 
This day of the Lord and the kingdom coming has been split into two. The front of the train is here, but we live in an age where the train's still going past. The train is still going past. And what we're awaiting for is the consummation of the uncontested reign of Jesus. It's the end when that new age continues. Some people call it the overlap of the ages, where um, the previous age was the age of death and sin reigning. Christ comes, death is defeated, we're in the overlap, and the new age to come is the age that will continue on forever for those who trust in Him. That is the kingdom of God. It's kind of like at a wedding. You ever been to a wedding uh, where people kind of get married? That's what happens at weddings, uh, if they work well. Uh, sometimes I kind of um, get to officiate at weddings and people are like, how do they go? How did it go? And I'm like, well, they're married. Like, that's a tick, right? And there's this moment when you're up the front. It's a great privilege to kind of see people share the vows and talk about the promises that they're making to one another for life in front of their friends and family and church and hearing the word opened and marriage being that symbol between Christ and the church and them starting this new relationship. And there's this moment that you get to say, I declare before God and in front of these people, I declare this couple to be husband and wife. Guess what? At that moment, they're really married. They're really actually married, legally, in front of God, but their marriage hasn't been consummated. Part of the great thing of marriage is the oneness that comes from sex, from sleeping together. And at that moment, they're up the front, they're at this point, we're married, we haven't consummated our marriage yet. There's this kind of little eager expectation, yeah, we love this day, but we want to get home. Right? There's more to come. And that's a good expectation, it's part of how God made us. Um, and you can kind of feel that tension at marriages, at weddings, right? You guys... Um, you're both married, you just can't have what you've been promising one another just yet. You need to get home first, all right? Well, we live in a time of great tension, a time where Jesus calls us to pray, your kingdom come. We live in a time where that consummation, that final point where it's sorted, has not yet arrived, but it's coming. It's like the marriage has started. Jesus has come and died and we trust in Him and we know Him and we call our Father Dad. But that day when things are put as they should be has not yet come. The end of the train has not left the platform. That begs a question, doesn't it? Why would God create such attention? Why would He metaphorically leave us as the bride and groom at the altar for so long? You're like, come on, we, we want to go home, we want to get on with this. And yet tell us, at the same time, to pray for the kingdom to come. Like, isn't that just sick? You want the end to come, but like, you're kind of extending it, but why are you extending it? What's going on here? Well, he's done it because he loves us. Have a look at what Peter says when people raise the question, where is this second coming of Jesus? Where is this kingdom of God? Where is Jesus' return? They're kind of going, huh, as if he's going to come back. Listen to what he says. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The reason the consummation of God's kingdom hasn't happened yet, the reason the end of the train has not yet passed, is because God is providing a time, an amnesty, for people to come back to Him, because He doesn't want any to perish. He hasn't come because He's full of mercy, giving you and me time to put our trust in His Son, who has died in our place. Often I get asked this question, 
Yeah, if God is good, why doesn't He put an end to all the suffering uh, that we experience in the world around us? And it's a good question. But we forget, we cause suffering in the lives of people. I cause suffering in the lives of people, even people that I love. Sarah's always pulling her hair out, going, why do you do that? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I I have a habit of leaving things on the floor at times. You know, why do you do that? But even harder than that, we say things that we wish we'd never said. Things that really hurt people. We do cause suffering in the lives of one another. And if we want God to stop all the suffering, we're actually asking Him to stop us right now. We're actually saying, I want you, God, to be just, to deliver what people deserve. The problem is, I deserve death, judgment, and hell, separation from God's goodness for eternity. If I've said to the life-giving God, I don't want you in my life, and He has every right to say, okay, I'll take my life and I'll remove it from you. The day of the Lord has come, but it's been split in two. And we live in this middle section, the time of tension. But remember, we live here because God is providing us time to come back to Him. And if you are here tonight and you are thinking through the things of God and working out and grappling, do I want to follow Jesus? Be thankful that God has not brought judgment down. Like We are all thankful that He has not given us what we deserve right now. He's not brought down the full force by giving us time to trust His Son. But do remember this, though, it is only for a time. Listen to the next verse that Peter says in chapter 3, verse 10 of 2 Peter. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved in the earth, and the works on it will be disclosed. In other words, our lives will be shown for what they are, and it will all burn. The end is coming. Some people have this view of the end times where they say that basically God is making his, he's bringing in his kingdom by, by making it get better and better and better. And so we should like look for the prosperity of the city and look to be doing good to see his world get better bit by bit, bit by bit, as if we're ushering in the kingdom of God that will get to an 80% level of peace and then a 100% level of peace where now everyone finally sees Jesus as he is and it's all sorted in butterflies and fairies, right? And there's this kind of picture that it just keeps getting better and better and better. That's not what Peter says. Peter says the whole thing's going to burn. It's going to go up in smoke. He's bringing the whole thing called this world down with a crash. Yeah, we spend so much of our time marveling in and reveling in the things of this world that we think are so clever, so good. They will be shown for what they are. Yes, there's good in this world. Yes, we enjoy relationships with one another. We enjoy the creation God has given us. But we do it to please ourselves and to serve ourselves so often rather than our God. And that will be shown to be what it really is. God has enabled us a time to not get what we do deserve, to receive pardon in its fullness. He's given us a bit of the future breaking in, the future peace He's given us now. And so we can see the forgiveness that comes, the effects of the King's work of forgiveness being applied to us now. But the kingdom has not yet come fully and completely, not with the finality that it will come. I've been racking my brain for a better illustration of this uh, all week, but I haven't come up with one. Um, so the illustration I'll use, I think, I think it's helpful. 
Have you ever seen a building be demolished? Uh, I'm not talking about Westfield in, in the city, uh, uh, but, but one of the ones where they like load it with TNT and they, um, uh, they, they kind of load all the bottom up and they stick it there and then they, they press a button and it just goes boom, kind of like this, right? That. Have you ever seen those moments where they bring a building down? Has anyone actually seen that in real life? Apparently one happened, a couple happened in Christchurch. Oh, that's exciting. There's been some crazy ones in China as well. Um, there's this moment, I've been watching videos, you can go and check them out later. There's this moment when you, when you, when you blow them up, these, these explosions go boom, 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 all around the bottom, and it's all blown up, the foundations have gone out, but the building just kind of hangs there for a second. Ever seen that? It's like, explodes, it's like, You're like is it going to fall? Everyone's like, what's going to happen? Is it going to go down? And it's this kind of pause for a second, and then the whole thing just goes, just kind of crumbles down in the middle, and you're like, whoa, that's it. It's the kind of pause before the drop. That's where God has put us right now. The building is the earth. And the explosion has happened. Death has been defeated. God's king has come. The kingdom has arrived. Jesus has died on the cross and caused a massive explosion and shown him to be the king of a new kingdom that will reign forever. And this current world will be demolished and will be rebuilt into a new kingdom with Jesus as the king. And where we live right now is in the pause before the drop. And the only thing that's holding this building called earth up is God's mercy. It's giving people more and more time to get out and trust in the new king who will rebuild his kingdom before the whole building collapses. It's so important to see the time that we live in. To see that this is actually the thread that links this whole prayer together. Because when you understand that the time that we live in and the massive implosion that's about to occur and you recognize the phenomenal mercy of God, it dramatically changes how we live and what we live for and what is important to us. It's not just a gradual increase of things getting better, but a change of kingdoms, a new building, a new world that will be rebuilt. Yes, physical, but God's kingdom. And so, Jesus, I want to put it to you, praise for the kingdom. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer for the kingdom. What does He tell us to concern ourselves with? The kingdom. Here there are, there are five requests, and I think all of them are about the same thing. Four are at least clear. One is a bit more tenuous, but I want to argue, we'll see it in a second. Firstly, He starts out like this, and you'll see it on the screen. Holy be your name. Now, this isn't a prayer that, oh, God, I pray that your name would be a little bit more holy, a little bit more set apart. I wish the Father would be a little bit better. It's saying, no, no, no. I, look, we want God's name to be held as it really is, so different, so set apart, so perfect. We want the world to see who the King is and that God has sent His Son and that He is that King now. Holy be your name. Next, he says, your kingdom come. May that kingdom, that, that time, that day fully arrive when we have relationship with God that is perfect and, and death is fully defeated and finished. Uh, forgive us our sins. What is that? That's recognizing the time of pardon that we live in. Now is the time to recognize that our sins can be forgiven. Now is the time to come to God and see what matters most in life. Our greatest need is our relationship with God to be mended before our deeds are disclosed to all and the building crashes down. And we do that as we forgive the debts of others, 
if we've recognized what we have been forgiven. We recognize that the God of the universe has forgiven us and has sent His own Son to die in our place. Then we won't hold on to the grudges we have with others. We'll live in this age as we're exiting the building and helping people to come out and enjoying uh, the building we live in. It's not as kind of decrepit as that picture. (laughs) But the building that this earth we live in, we can enjoy. God has given it to us to enjoy it. It proclaims His goodness around us. But remember, it's being demolished. We'll get world kingdom 2.0 and live in that forever with God as King. So he's saying in that time that you live, don't hold on to your rights, don't hold on to what you think is the most important thing of, of, of money, of time, or of reputation. Live for the kingdom of God. Of course you can forgive debts others have to you because you're not living for that. For you have been forgiven if you get the kingdom. Do not bring us into temptation. I think he's saying... Help us to keep trusting in your mercy. How tempting is it as we kind of exit the building, as we walk down the stairs, as we, we think about what matters in life, to get kind of bamboozled by the things around us? You're like, oh, a flower. <laughs> and like, oh, a career. This is great. I'm really loving this. And there's good things to do with our work. Work is good. It's a great contribution to society. The idea of a career is that that's my identity. Did you find that? What career do you have? What are you seeking? It is funny that the word career means to veer off track, right? A car careered off the road. Anyway, just hold that for you. Do not bring us into temptation, but let us be focused on the King and His kingdom. Jesus has just been saying, to be a disciple of mine is to leave it all behind and to treat me as your King, to serve God with your all. We get so caught up with the world around us. Enjoy it, yes, but don't live for it. Enjoy it as things that are breaking in of God's kingdom forever, of how it's supposed to be. And say to people, don't live for this, live for the kingdom. The only one that you kind of have a question about relating to this idea of kingdom is give us today our daily bread. Uh, What he's actually saying here is not just give us bread, but give us what we need just for today. But I think that even here... The implication is that we don't need much. We don't need to worry too much about storing up for the kingdom to come because that's already been given to us in Jesus. He's saying, God, Father, please provide us with what we need for today, my daily allotment. Jesus would have known uh, the law and the prophets and the writings. The Proverbs would have been things as a Jew that we would have been saying to others. Let me read to you Proverbs 30 to get an idea of this, this, um, this meaning of daily bread. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food that I need, literally with my allotment of bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. There's a great proverb here that pushes us to recognize that we need to depend on on God for His provision. We cannot build our kingdom. We cannot build the kingdom. It's been done by God the Son. And He is the ruler over all. And while we await that inheritance, we're to live in a way that we just ask our Father, who loves us and cares for us, for what we need today. So we think about our time, our energy, our money, resources. We have everything in Christ. So... We use all that we have 
to serve Him in life. In our jobs, we live as Christians. We speak of the news of Jesus. We encourage people to come along to hear about the gospel and give us today our daily bread. Um, Jesus helps us understand that in Luke 12 by helping us to not store up treasures here. Look at Luke 12, 29. Don't keep striving for what you should eat and what you should drink and don't be anxious for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things and your Father knows that you need them. But seek, what does He say? His kingdom and these things will be provided for you. The kingdom is at the heart of our God for He is King and He has sent His Son to rule in that kingdom. Right at the end of this whole section, after that little parable that we'll look at briefly in a sec, at the end of this whole section, Jesus kind of says to the disciples, He tells them to ask God the Father, like a child asks their dad, to ask Him for the gift of the Spirit. And you're kind of like, wow, that's the thing to ask for? It's not my immediate kind of response that I want the Holy Spirit to come. Maybe that's, you know, I don't really understand Him. And so, why does He say that? I want to put it to you that even the asking of the Spirit to come and the gifts of the Spirit is about the Kingdom of God. See, when Jesus comes on the scene in Luke 4, um, He says this, Luke 4, 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Jesus is saying that the Spirit has come and enabled him to do these things. As he's preached this news to the poor of, that he is king, that he is coming, that people have recognized the king has come. It's about the kingdom. It's the breaking in of this new age where things are put right and no more death and mourning and crying. Freedom proclaimed to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. It is set free the oppressed, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying, look at all my deeds. The work of the Spirit in me is showing you that I am God's promised King. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Where? In me, he says coming of the Spirit was about Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God, the inbreaking of this new kingdom and the fact that Jesus is King. Uh, it keeps, you look at Luke 12, you can run it down later, or Acts 1. Have a look at Acts 1 on the screen. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods, that the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They ask, when is this, this kingdom fully being restored? And Jesus says, well, the Spirit is coming and He will enable you to proclaim the news of this kingdom in that overlap of the ages, in the now but not yet, in the pause before the drop so that more people from all over the world, not just Jews, but from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, so the whole world might treat me as king. The role of the Spirit is to point people to Jesus as the king of God's new kingdom. 
You read through the book of Acts and he keeps working in people to do exactly that. People get emboldened by the Spirit and they speak. What do they say? This Jesus whom you have crucified, God made Lord and Christ. The Spirit is like a huge spotlight and he works in us and through us to point to Jesus. He doesn't say, look at me, come and get all this stuff that I've got. He says, I'm going to enable you to point people to the King. For the King has come and it's about living for him. He's a spotlight on Jesus as the King of God's kingdom. Well, the whole prayer then, I think, provides for us a moment of focus. A moment of focus for how that we will live and an encouragement to be persistent in prayer. Did you notice how persistent in that little parable in the middle uh, Jesus is encouraging uh, us to be? He's like the guy that kept knocking on the door. You're like, get lost. I'm trying to sleep. You're waking up my kids. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you keep going to your father and you keep asking. Like a child who asks for stuff. Now, it kind of tells you a little bit about what I'm like and how broken I am at this point. Because when my kids keep saying, Dad, can I please play on the iPad? Dad, can I please play on the iPad? Dad, can I please play on the iPad? I'm like, no, shut up. Go and pick up weeds from the garden. Like, that's our new punishment now. Every time I do something and ask too many times, it's another bucket of weeds. It's great. Uh, But it just irritates me. I'm like, shut up, stop pestering me. Well, God is a better father than I. He's a father that longs for us to keep coming to him and asking, Father, please bring in your kingdom. Please make your name holy here. Please help us to, to run from temptation. Please forgive us our sins in this pause before the drop and lead us not into temptation. Please give us just what we need for today. He wants us to keep coming to Him and asking Him that. You see, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't expect God to answer us straight away. He gives His whole parable. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, I prayed for it and it didn't happen. God's not real. Or what is this? Why would God do that? The expectation from Jesus is that we keep coming to Him to ask. Why? God seems to have limited his plans and purposes to the prayers of his people. God seems to have left the way to bring in the kingdom to people praying that he would do it. He's involving us in what he's doing and asking us to come alongside to bring in this new kingdom. We get this amazing privilege. My first reaction is, yeah, I want to bring in the kingdom. I'm just going to go out and do stuff like some Rambo. But he's like, no, you tool, Rowan. I'm the one that brings people in. I'm allowing you to partner with me by first praying. You can't do this. You can't clear the people out of the building. In fact, you couldn't even clear yourself out of the building. You needed me, in the person of my spirit, to come and show you who Jesus was and what he's done. We need to pray. Yes, we need to act. But first, we need to pray. And in this prayer... God gives us insight into his very heart and a moment of focus. That at the heart of our God and his plans for the universe is his kingdom and its growth. That is what we are to pray for. That's what we're to live our lives for. It's when we get to enjoy partnering with God in prayer and in action as we help point people to the kingdom that is coming, to the train as it fully leaves So that's what we want to be about as a church. We want to be about living for the kingdom. 
recognizing that is where we're going into the new heaven and the new earth when Jesus returns like a thief in the night. I want to say to you tonight, if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, if you haven't come to him and said, I need you, if it was just me and God, I'd be stuffed, please forgive me, then please, please, check it out. Don't just make some rash decision, but come to Jesus and put your life in his hands. There is a far better life of freedom in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. And trying to live for our reputation and our gain and all of it will just crumble around us. I want to say, come and trust the King. And if tonight you are someone who trusts in Jesus, you've recognized that He is God's King, God's Spirit has worked within you to go, yes, I want to serve you with my all, then won't you lay down your life this night? before our great God and say, I want to live for your kingdom. I want you to use me whatever way you see fit. I want to speak to you, Lord, that you would bring in this kingdom. And you bring it in quickly. Jesus calls us to persistently plead with our heavenly Father that his kingdom will come in its fullness. And that in us, we, we would labor with everything that he has given us in this pause before the drop moment that we live in. Do you long for the uncontested rule of our God? And why you tonight pray with me? Pray out loud. We'll have us to all pray. And I thought it would be an apt moment to pray the Lord's Prayer together as we've seen what it's about to ask God to bring in this kingdom. So won't you say with me out loud this prayer? It'd be on the screen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Let me keep praying. Father, tonight it is so great to see this picture of your kingdom to see what you have been showing us throughout all the ages, that you are king and you've installed your son to rule on that throne forever. Lord, we are so thankful that you've given us this moment where you have not brought down the weight of judgment that we deserve, but you've given us a moment of pardon where we might come and trust your son Lord, we are so thankful for your generosity and your goodness as a dad who loves us. We pray for your name's sake that more and more people in this city and this country would recognize Jesus as their king. We pray that you'd use us and others around us to point to your son, that our lives from this day forward would continue to be pointing and living for the kingdom that you are bringing in. Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity. And we pray, Lord, for those that don't yet know you. We ask that you would show yourself, that people would see what Jesus has done and what an amazing king he is. Lord, for those of us here tonight who want to make Jesus our king, we ask that you would forgive us and that we might serve you with our life from this day forward. Father, We are so excited to be part of your kingdom through nothing that we've done and all that your son has done. And so we pray that you would use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.